Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hey, Glenn. Uh, everything is right as... Rain. I don't know. It's right as contributing to the Double Loop Podcast, showing your, your loyalty to the greatest fingerprint podcast ever recorded uh, by chipping in about a buck a month uh, over at Patreon.com. Making it rain for us. Yeah. Well, I would like to ask you, Eric. Sure. That there's no time like... The present. There's no time like right now. Or the present, which okay. is pretty, pretty much the same thing, to contribute to the Double Loop oh. Podcast at Patreon.com. Well, I was inspired a little bit um, with, uh, with my idiom there because... Well, I can't hear it right now, but maybe at some point later in the podcast... There'll be a little bit of a rumbling in the background, and I promise it's not my tummy, but uh, we got a monsoon storm rolling through town here in uh, in Phoenix. Actual rain. Yeah, it was. It actually was raining just about 10 minutes ago at my house. So. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, all right, cool. That's, uh, that's a rare occurrence in your neck of the woods. I've I've been kind of getting used to it in West Virginia. Um, being a, a good Arizona boy, I, I I don't own or carry around an umbrella, so I just get wet because you know, hey, rain is a good thing and it, it's a, it's a rare event. But uh, I've been getting wet quite a bit in, <laughs> in West Virginia. <laughs> awesome. Hey, and how how is that going? The the uh, national commuting from coast to coast, coast to coast commuting how is that it's it's uh it's kind of rough um long days uh when i'm there and uh and you know trying to rest and recuperate when i'm back home uh but i'm getting into the swing of things uh it's we'll have to see again as things change with the kids going back to school um that'll change things up again here and that's just um well this next week um this episode may come out the week of the conference, um, but um, the first full week of August uh, is when most kids here in Arizona go back to school. And um, so that's uh, my uh, two youngest uh, are going to new schools to start seventh and ninth grade. Uh, and then my oldest is off to college in uh, by the end of the month uh, at uh, Northern Arizona University. So... Mm-hmm. Ah, it's, uh, I'm getting old, Glenn, and... <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, a kid off to college is uh, is definitely a sign of that. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I'm a few years, well, I... Uh, it's coming quick. <laughs> I don't... I don't know if he's in the other room listening, but I, I'll be surprised if he if he goes off to college. But he'll be college age soon. Right, right. Um yeah, I mean, here in Arizona, there's not a whole lot of options, um, and uh, but he, I, I got the feeling he he wants to to spread his wings a bit and go, you know, um, out of town, but uh, you know, not out of state. So uh, kind of like I did, but I went south, and now he and he's going north to Flagstaff instead. <laughs> what about uh, you? Uh, what what else you been up to here? Yeah, well, I had a crazy summer of travel. I mean, I probably have been home like I don't know five days. days? I know in the last two three months, it's just it's just been insane. It's good. I've enjoyed right. it. Lots of teaching, meeting people, working. You know, it's it's just a different kind of schedule, different kind of life. But I'm ready to be home for a little bit. But I have to wait till after the II for that to really happen, and then things slow down to only a one one week a month as opposed to three weeks a month. Well, that should we should fill in listeners a little bit on that. It's been kind of difficult because when I'm in West Virginia, I work every day um, from uh, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. East Coast time, and uh, so if Glenn is teaching during the day, and then you know we can't record when he's teaching, and then when if when I'm working, we can't record. So. Um, it's it's been a little tough to get like we've been trying to we've been saying the past couple months our schedules synced up to uh, you know when we can get on the horn with each other but um, we uh, we're we're gonna making a push this weekend especially to get a few episodes into the can so that we can uh, be ahead of the curve uh, and then when we're both free to do you know a few in a row yeah 
For sure. Yeah. And in fact, I have a story that relates a little bit to uh, today's paper that we're going to be discussing the FBI, the new FBI persistence and permanence paper that came out in Forensic Science International. So a little story for you. I was at the FBI, the uh, main headquarters academy at Quantico last week teaching. And it had been a few years since I had been there. And it was it was great. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. We love. We both love teaching there. They're they're such a great group. They're so smart. You know, they they really are some of the smartest, best of the best. And I can teach at yeah. light speed. I mean, it's it's like you know, it's like a master's or graduate level because I don't have to. I don't have to go back and define things. I can throw out a paper and, you know, 99% of them are at least familiar with the paper and the basic ideas. It's just there's there's so much you can do because, you know, you can assume a, a really strong foundation and training and just just knowledge when it comes to the field. So well, and you can you can call on just anybody in the room. Just pick literally anybody, uh, ask them a question, and you will get a almost instant Yeah. For intelligent, sure. thoughtful response, uh, or just ask, hey, what's your opinion on this? And there won't be any hemming and hawing as they kind of figure it out. They'll know instantly, this is what I'm thinking, this is why I'm thinking it. And they've been trained really well to to be in that courtroom environment, and uh, it really does show. And if, if that's, that's one major difference I recognize between FBI examiners and examiner to other agencies the level of comparison ability is you know is really similar throughout lots of different agencies but fbi man they excel at being able to articulate yes to articulate that's that's the better word (laughs) yeah i I mean they have a certain confidence in this ability to articulate and like you said share opinions and they're not bashful they you know they're probably all confident type a you know top of their class nhs uh, you know, debate <laughs> programs in high school. They were the nerds that you love to hate. Right. Right. Okay. So that all said, funny story for you. And I told them that I was going to tell this story on the podcast. I won't give names <laughs> or anything, but oh, I, I told them this would be a story. So we were going through a comparison and one of the examiners used one of my favorite words. I hadn't used it yet, but she used it. And she was talking about an area of distortion where things get a little smudgy and she she said, you know, that area of schmutz over there. And I love schmutz. It's a great Yiddish word. And it, it's just, it, it's a fun word. And I, and I just love that as a, ge- a generic distortion word, schmutz. Right? Okay. Absolutely. Right? All right. I don't know if you've ever used it, but. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, you have? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, all sorts of pseudo-technical terms get thrown out when discussing those distorted areas. Uh, yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> So one of the other gals, I don't know, maybe it was later the same day, a few hours later, when we were again talking about another comparison. Now, she was a lot younger, so I don't know if she – and the person who had used the word schmutz was older. So I don't know if she was just younger, didn't know this, wasn't familiar with the – you know, she just sort of jumped in and said, you know, that area where her um, splooge was over there. <laughs> and – Oh, we all just died. Oh, we were my. all all just dying. So that that's became a different the, thing. Yeah, that became that's a different kind of distorted area. That's uh, yes, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, good times. Oh boy, that's uh, yeah. I, I that's uh, what do you it's think? An, that, it's that a new a, distortion word. Yeah, yeah, new distortion word. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think that's a that's a nin kind of print or in uh, uh, the dion? <laughs> a lot of amino acids in that for sure. Um, it's a similar kind of story. Uh, reminds me at least of a a story of a, a coworker when I was back at Arizona I was going to take notes, and this is when we were doing our APHIS upgrade, and uh, she's kind of fumbling around at the table, and she's. She's, you know, she wants to write something down and she says, where's my, 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 um, my hoo-ha. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, a few of us at the table, our eyes kind of got big and we're like, do you mean your, your pen? (laughs) Yeah. That's good. Well, I mean, we all have these words we fill in when our brain, you know, shuts down and we just can't think of the word for just a simple object, you know, a thingamajig. Um, but, um. We <laughs> later on, uh, and you know, back in the office, we're just like people nowadays use that uh, term for something else. 
pretty good. Uh, anyway, good yeah. times, good times. Indeed. All right. Well, why don't we uh, get to it? We've got a, a big paper to cover today. Yes. Uh, just heck, just with the list of authors. Um, so like you said, in Forensic Science International earlier this year, uh, the permanence of friction ridge skin and persistence of friction ridge skin and impressions, a comprehensive review and new results by Keith Monson, Tony Roberts, Catherine Knorr, Shireen Ali, Steve Meager, Kevin Biggs, Patty Bloom, Donna Brandelli, Albert Mazzioli, Robert Renew, and Frank Tarasi. So, um, this is a, this is a long time coming study. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe because Kevin Biggs is uh, he works out here in Mesa. Um, so just from uh, you know brief discussions with him, I think he signed on to help with this fifteen ish years ago. Yeah, that's about it, right. When things kind of first got started on this, and the idea is to look at different impressions of the finger and uh, look at how persistent and permanent the features are um, from recording technique to recording technique and over a period of time, whether that be a skin regeneration cycle of a month, month and a half, or up to multiple years, eight years. It looks like their maximum here is 53 years. Yeah. And, and as as you said, they, they broke it down looking at the level one, level two, level three, and these various things on a short-term versus a long-term basis to determine how it appeared and how it recorded. And we'll make some distinctions in a moment. And, and, and before we go further into the paper, uh, like, you know, you said that this has been a long time coming. Let's just clue the listeners in. Uh, and you, you know, you, you spoke to Kevin some years ago. I, I remember when Steve addressed Swigfast. This must have been 2004 or five, maybe wow. in there. And he was talking about this study. And this was a direct descendant of the Daubert hearing that they had gone through. Uh, which right. was in 1999. And so this would have been, you know, a few years after. Plus, it was around the time of Mayfield, and it was some of the first research that they were going to do. I remember actually him presenting portions of it, you know, just talking about the preliminary findings at Sweetfast at the FBI Academy, but then also sitting down with him at lunch and hearing what they were going to do. And he had this whole idea in his head that eventually became the Black Box, White Box series. You know, this whole, right. you know, uh, plan of attack. But the first thing was to demonstrate the permanence and, you know, our persistence wasn't quite the word we were using back then, but the permanence of frictionary skin. And even elements, as I'm reading through this, there are some of the same little pieces. And I remember him talking about that even back <laughs> then, the Swigfast members, some of us said, well, Steve, here's our, here's our issue with this, or here's what we're thinking, or the study could be improved this way, or think about this or that. So I can see that there's lots of little, little bits of that that I think, I don't know if the FBI finally said, look, we got to get, we got to publish this thing. We've got all this, all this research, all this work, but you can kind of feel that there are parts of it Frankenstein together a little bit from the past to get this out there. But like you said, it, it, it covers a fairly wide span of, of time. Right. And, and um, I mean, there's been these uh, you know, persistent studies. I think, you know, going back, that's some of the oldest research that we can date in the field uh, is going back to, you know, Herschel looking at his own prints over the course of decades and, uh, you know, seeing the same features appear over this, this long period of time. So, um, you know, granted that's a lot more, you know, crude and limited in scale. You know, this is a yeah. much bigger study, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, much more advanced techniques. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think definitely a, a, a revisit, uh, to from the 19th century research that we've had, uh, to a 21st century approach to it. Sure, sure. And overall, just overall impressions before we get into it, just from a 10,000, you know, altitude here. I, I think overall that it, it has some important stuff, um, at the 10,000 foot level. 
there are some things as I'm reading through that I just made me kind of, you know, cock my head to the side a little bit and start digging into and digging into it. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, how things are defined for this study as to what things mean. So, mm. um, what I would say is in referencing this study or if anyone references this study to you, be very careful to remind yourself what these terms mean in relation to this particular study uh, and, and as instead uh, instead of just taking the sentence as in and being able to apply it you know in a broader context. Um, uh, interesting, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll, we'll dig into that. And I'm wondering if some of the same things that you were picking up on were things that either even back when Steve first talked about this, you know, I wonder if it's that or right. like you said, some of the things that they have decided to push their chips all in and go, this is how we're going to define this and whether or not that will change how people are using the terms currently. So look forward to getting into that. I, I had real real similar thoughts that there are some some gems in here uh, the 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 paper is a little unwieldy there like i said that it felt frankensteiny where this might have actually benefited from breaking it up into several smaller papers maybe one addressing level 1 one addressing level 2 and level 3 there's there's a lot i and i i will say that the the references the list are pretty comprehensive <laughs> it's uh 156 references and if yep. you're looking for a comprehensive list of a lot of the skin and various studies though there's a couple of minor notable things missing from the reference list it's a really really good reference list for anything dealing with skin permanence characteristic i mean that that in itself is is i actually think is worthy of (laughs) you know of, of the paper right right so I think the the first thing to start with in this paper is to have a very clear a clear definition of the terms that they're using and that that first comes down to permanence and persistence. And in this paper what they're defining permanence is more of evaluating the skin on the fingers. Is it the same on the fingers from one um, time frame to another. Right. Now, in general, they're going to measure that by looking at photographs or these, uh, or like three dimensional scans of the skin. But they also, at times when that's not available, looked at impressions to stand in uh, as a stand in for what the actual skin looks like, like ink and, impressions. And- yeah, and I have to say, I, I don't exactly understand that part of the methodology. That doesn't make sense to me because of their own words here that I'll, I'll, I'll read out loud. Sure. Uh, interpretations of impressions is complicated by effects of pressure, matrix, substrate, and image capture. So the fact that they understand that if you attempt to, say, use ink or something like that to record the impressions, they may not appear the same as on the skin. So I don't see how they can ever really use a stand-in. I, I, I get that's what they said. That didn't, that part of the methodology didn't make sense. The, I, as I, and please, I, I hope they will correct us if we're wrong. Right. But I think Absolutely. I think you and I both agree permanence in this paper means the characteristic on the skin is unchanging and and um not just unchanging but unchanging for every part of the finger so to be permanent they would have to find every feature to be the same uh and um that would be you know the same ridge units, same pores, same pattern, depending on what level that we're, you know, a feature that we're looking at, but also that it's the same, uh, you know, feature type. Um, so it's a pretty high standard to be permanent. Now, right. persistence, they're looking at the transferred impression onto a two dimensional recording, whether that be with ink, live scan, or technically also with photographs. Um, so, there is some overlap here between what they're talking about, but persistence um, persistence takes into account that there are diff- slight differences in that recording process. Uh, but to be persistent, you just have to be able to show 
this is the same finger. These are the same features, but the differences in the recording process is what led to the apparent differences between the two impressions, but then they're still persistent. Uh, and, and also it seemed to add one other thing because they refer to um, – what you're referring to is what they call transfer fidelity. In other yes. words, how well this transfers from this medium, from the skin to the recording media. But they also talk about the operational aspect of persistence, which means – and this is something you and I can discuss too here in, in a moment. Effectively, will these changes – impede or change the identification decision and process and that that to me was a real weird jump to why are we even going to the identification and how that will impact that that almost seemed i have to say that felt very steve meagerish i i, I mean I, I can't describe it any other way just sort of <laughs> well yeah we, we see these changes oh but, 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 but don't worry it doesn't affect the identification thing almost like a getting in front of it so it can't be yeah. used against stuff in, in court just cart before the horse kind of thing yeah i mean let's just keep it real simple how does it appear on the skin versus the fidelity transfer how does it transfer from skin to recording media and just leave it at that let's not even talk about the identification process and decision making and um so right here at the start i think is is a, a big problem that for me carries on to the rest of the paper. And that's this idea that you can compare the skin from one time period to another to see that it's, it's the same on the skin, the same feature, same feature type, all these kinds of things on the skin. When you're not actually comparing the skin, you're comparing photographs of the skin, which is, you know, there are limitations even in direct photography of the skin. Different lighting conditions can make things look slightly different. So then when you're evaluating whether or not these two impressions or photographs of actual skin uh, are consistent from one time frame to another, some of those differences that you're going to then chalk up to then feature not being permanent is just a factor of the recording method again. Yeah, I, I I will see your point and raise you. And <laughs> uh, I mean, besides just I mean, I, I, partly, I actually didn't mind the photograph. I mean, I, I yeah, I even got their point in the paper that look, we couldn't use the skin, so we're going to have to just call. You know, we'll just have to cut our losses and u use the photograph as a three dimensional substitute. I was almost okay with that. The almost the bigger issue for me was. But how are you judging the similarity or difference? And this was the issue that we raised years ago was, you know, their response. Well, we have experts, you know, looking at them. And, you know, we all raised eyebrows and went, okay, well, how is the expert, how good is this expert going to be at judging these differences or not? How, by what standard? Uh, what are the criteria for this? And the paper does address that a little bit. In fact, they talk about, well, we used, you know, uh, experts to assess how different they looked. And we were, you know, concerned about potential bias. So, you know, we did a number of things for, you know, such as impress upon them the importance of the study. <laughs> um, uh, we, we included people who were non-experts, you know, to examine this. We had multiple people looking at them. So they even tried to build in, build in some anti-biasing, which, you know, may, may have worked. Uh, but I would have liked, I would have liked some, some sort of, objective way to capture something measure it between the two you know some automated measurement as opposed to the human eyeballing and going and like you said and could be fooled by photographic distortions going well these look different or these look these look the same I, I i i'm right there with you i don't know if it's the human that might see the differences that are 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 not there or a, a trick of the shadows or uh, in the photography or depth of field or a number of things. So I think um, it would be helpful. This is a very visual paper uh, with lots of, lots of pictures, which are my favorite kinds of papers. Um, but uh, uh, so I would suggest if you have access to it, uh, again, we mentioned it at the top of the show, the name of the paper to bring it up. Uh, or if you don't just go ahead and email uh, myself or Glenn and we'll forward on a copy of the paper uh, to you. 
Um, but go ahead. Maybe we could even put some images on the website. The website. The website. <laughs> yes, we'll uh, contact Michael about that. Um, so, well, either if you're looking at the paper, following along, or if you're going to the website, um, go ahead and look at figure eight. Uh, so, yeah, labeled figure yeah, eight. It's one of my favorites. Okay. I'm glad you picked up on it too. So, we got the, a whorl. Uh, the bottom part of a whorl below the deltas, almost near the first uh, crease. And they've zoomed in into a tight box. And you see, so first off, just in the zoomed, more zoomed out, the top half of these images, you can see that there are two photographs of, of a finger. Um, and right away, there's these, there's clear photographic differences. The, the one on the left appears to have a little bit, uh, harsher, uh, side lighting. Uh, that has highlights along the edge of each ridge, while the one on the right uh, has the shadows and the furrows, but no highlights on the top of the ridge. It's just yeah, straight up, straight down. Gray ridge, darker gray furrow. While the again, the one on the left has a gray ridge with a a light light white highlight, right. um, and uh, then the darker gray furrow. Um, so clearly, there's there's difference in that you're that's going to be imparted just from the photograph itself. But you go into the zoomed in area and they've highlighted this one ridge unit. And um, in the uh, little tagline for figure eight, it says that the magnified arrows uh, marks out what is a ending ridge in the left impression, but a dot in the right impression. And I'm looking at that thinking that is an, and I mean, you're pointing to a ridge unit that's, that is a, in the middle of a ridge. Now it is very much right adjacent to, uh, an ending ridge in both impressions. Um, the one on the left might look a little bit more like a bifurcation, looks a little bit more like an ending on the right, but the thing it's pointing to is just a, a ridge unit along that in the middle of that ridge. And in my interpretation, that is just, that is clearly not a dot. Um, you don't have any of the separation of the ridges along either side of it to allow for it to be there. There's no furrow on the bottom. There's just a furrow on the top of it. Um, are you seeing the same thing I am here? No, no, absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to call on something that uh, I don't know. If, are you familiar with footwear comparisons? Ever done footwear exams or? Nope. Okay. So in footwear examinations, the angle of light makes yeah. all the difference in, in the world. I mean, there are these great pictures in Bill Bodziak's uh, book on footwear impressions. So any li- any fingerprint examiner who's a footwear examiner know these images. When you shine light directly over, you know, 90 degrees to the foot impression versus oblique lighting from the left or from the right, you can get completely different tread patterns, uh, you know, depending on how the light is actually hitting it. And it, it's incredible how different the pattern can look depending on the angle and direction of the light. And that is exactly what it reminds me of when I see this, where the one on the right is almost the light 90 degrees over, but the one on the left is the, the light source at the 12 o'clock position. And you, you get the shadowing effect. And that, it's hard for me to tell how much of that is due to actual differences in the skin, distortion in the photos, and simply just the human eyeball looking at that and going, well, that looks different or not. I mean, I appreciate that they were trying to be conservative. I mean, I really get that sense of. Well, and that's it, in the it, paper it, that they said it, that they were told to find any difference no matter how slight and flag it. Exactly. So that they – Basically, just didn't pass this off as a, yep, everything's cool, everything's the same, everything's permanent and persistent. And I appreciate that part of it. I just don't know that the method is allowing for a proper differentiation between these two images. And, uh, I mean, you even got a little bit uh, where the, the impression on the right is a little bit more in focus in that area uh, than the one on the left, which I think yeah. plays some into it as well. Yeah. And you go up to figure seven. Well, uh, be- before oh. you, I just, I'm just on that image, I will say though, when you look at the two, like you said, you know, the lighting's a little different, but 
I mean, there appears to be some gross things. I mean, they made some gross observations about basic changes to skin where, you know, it gets flatter with age and, um, you know, the, it, the ridges don't seem as sharp as they were when they were younger. And those sorts of observations have been made before. And I, I right. suspect that there, there may have been some of that, but to what extent, again, I'm not sure given the photography and, Again, the method, you know, it's not like they use some sort of optical microscope to measure micrometers or nanometers and height differences. And, and there, I mean, there's technology out there that can measure those things or even some sort of ultrasound sensor that can measure the height distances with the, to certain points. There's, there's things that, there are instruments that could have been used to measure these things with, you know, a certain degree of confidence and a certain rate of, you know, error bars to it, but I, I don't know about eyeballing it from the photos using the human as, as a as a good method of di- differentiation. Well, and, the, and they did use a, a holographic um, uh, capture method um, as as part of, as one of the, you know, ways that they uh, captured these prints other than just the regular photography. Um, but I think it's still limited by some of the similar problems. Um, mm-hmm. um, just a quick couple other examples in figure seven. Uh, they've circled a, uh, areas at the, near the top of the print, um, where and labeled as one having more ridge breaks. So instead of having a, a cleanly flowing ridge, it's broken up into, uh, with a ridge with breaks along it. And, uh, I, I, what they're going for is did the skin itself change and i just don't think that the photographs that they took clearly show that the skin has changed that there's a difference in the permanence of the skin um i i from again just the photos here in the paper can't rule out that the apparent differences are solely due to lighting differences between two photos or you know, whatever methods that they're, they're with holographic, if they use, if these are the examples from the holographic image uh, recording. Having just discussed that in the last one too, there might be other reasons that the appearance of these could be different. You know, for, I, I don't know. Now, I mean, I'm really spitballing. You know, maybe it's dehydration in the skin for that day. Uh, maybe it's diet. Maybe it's, uh, you know, the person at time one was, was sweating more. I mean, I could think of all these different little physiological changes and there's a, a couple of the big ones we really need to get to. But like you said, is it really a difference in the skin versus how it may appear in that moment, either due to photography or even, I don't know, physiological expression on, on the skin at that moment? Is it really a change or is it some physiological manifestation. And it, it, if it's, you know, if uh, it can be attributed to, you know, a difference in, you know, how moist someone's skin was that day or getting older, that would still be interesting. But until you can rule out, oh, it was just the photograph, mm. then I, I, I don't think you can really draw any you know, really solid results from uh, the images that you have here. Um, you know, if you could get to that point of, oh, the differences are, are there and it, it, it's, you know, here's all the different things that it could be. Um, you know, maybe that's a, a follow up thing, you know, looking at what it could be. But until you eliminate the possibility of, oh, it's just a lighting difference, then there's nothing all that interesting in the difference. Yeah. All right. In, well, in, in, in if my we... opinion. If if we could, uh, let's let's go over what the they said for level one, level two, sure. level three. I want to go into those a little bit. So level one detail, they said is permanent and persistent. So the level one on the skin and its representations and images did not change over time, in the short term or the long term. Any any comments on that? I mean, given that. It, it, it wouldn't be any photographic distortion, so to speak. Um, and they use the NCIC classification as a starting point. So basically, did NCIC change 
and they allowed for plus or minus one ridger cell. And with, uh, I wouldn't expect it to. Um, right. So um, the or or if it did, it would be you know a fairly rare thing because of a um, a difference of you know like one or two ridges in a ridge count from the core to delta based on just how the photograph was taken but you know don't with with what they're doing here i didn't really expect that to change uh, for either one okay so then moving on to level two which they said was let's see um level two detail was permanent and persistent in all photographs over a short period uh short term period it's the long term where they had issues uh, and on page 121, they say that level two details were persistent, so did not change in the skin. Oh, sorry. My bad. Let me. They said in the long term, level two details were persistent. In other words, recorded the same, right? but not permanent over a long term period. So they saw subtle variations in the appearance of the skin. And those are the figures that you pointed out in figures seven, eight, nine, tiny little variations on the skin. But they also noted that there were changes in the skin with age, such as cre- uh, creases appearing, cracking, scaling, some of the aging conditions that could impact the appearance of the level two. And so I think what this comes back to is, again, they're talking about overall, it's not that every point is, uh, you know, it has a change uh, over time in the long term, but in, or not even most of them, but that uh, some um, features uh, will will change over time. They noted the differences over time uh, in separate images uh, or impressions, I guess, in this measure of permanence. Um, which, again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure isn't necessarily, you know, some of those differences being due to uh, just lighting and recording conditions. Okay. All right. Now, for level three, they, they didn't see any permanence. Um with either edge shape uh, or pores, um, including the incipient ridges. They also put that into the uh, level three category. Over short term, they saw not all level three features being permanent or persistent, even over a short term period. Right. And I guess that didn't really surprise me, especially given their definitions, but it's worth digging into a little bit. So edge shapes, and we know, I mean, are, are terrible for recording purposes. And, you know, the edge shapes at the top of the ridge are different than at the bottom of the ridge. So I don't expect them to record similarly, even in the short period of time. And that was shown by uh, Christoph Shampo and Alexandra Antonio's at University of Lausanne some years ago about how non-robust you know, these edge shapes are. So that finding is consistent with that. The thing that surprised me a little was when they talk about the sweat pores, that one surprised me where they talked about it. They appeared different. They appeared different in size and shape. I, I didn't notice them talking about the position of the center of the sweat pore. Right. Because, because this to me, mm, the, I mean, the size and shape of it are really dependent, obviously, on you know your your sweating condition. No, what? not on uh, pressure. Not, okay. All right, sweat pores don't change on pressure. That's actually one of the things that all the findings have shown is that they're really robust to pressure changes. Although the um, the uh, I, I, I take that back. The, the the size and shape can can change on pressure a bit, but the position doesn't change at all with respect to to pressure but of course the, your condition of sweat the more the more you're sweating the more it opens and you get a different size shape at the top it's, it's basically a funnel and so at the top when it's wide open it's like the giant top of a funnel whereas as it's constricting it's tiny and practically closes so depending on where you are in the funnel and the condition of the skin it doesn't have anything to do with distortion. It's whether or not it's open or not. So I guess I was surprised that they were looking at size and shape, which is the least robust characteristic, and not 
necessarily dependent on age. And I wanted to know more about the position of it, which another group of researchers some years ago had already established how robust the center of the sweat pores are because it's the position of it. Does that make sense? Right. And I think figure 17 here uh, shows um, some examples of what they were looking at in the persistence of level three over the short term. So this is now impressions, not photographs of the skin um, over um, three images over uh, over four months, uh, May, June, and August. And what initially jumps out is a, a difference in the pressure of, of the different images where at a high pressure, at a high pressure, the pore just may not show up at all. Like if you, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think a lot of these, you know, either, either with some, you know, added, um, pressure or a little bit of wiggle uh, in the impression uh, obscured a nice clear recording of the pour that was in some of the impressions with not as clear a recording so then it's just a, more of a straight ridge um, so I don't know it's hard for me to then really gather anything out of this if I'm looking at these images and going well in this one, I see pores, but in this impression, I don't see any pores, but I don't really expect to because it's just a messier impression all around. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, they demonstrated, they demonstrated, I guess, what we already sort of know. It's a terrible characteristic in, the, in terms of robustness. It doesn't record. Each time. It, it doesn't record reliably. It's not a feature that reliably represents itself over and over and over and is highly dependent on the medium that you use, the technique, the quality right. of your images, tons of things, plus whether or not the sweat pour is really even open enough for it to record well. True. What I would be more interested in is in a short-term or long-term, when a pour is present in both images – Okay, not whether or not it shows up or not, but when it shows up both times, is it has it changed? Has it moved? Has it, the the size or shape or location of it changed over a long period of time? Um, just saying, well, well, from this impression well, to this impression, it just didn't show up both times. That doesn't tell me. It doesn't as valuable information to me. And and I I will go on that a little bit. Size and shape are not that important to me because. Right. They ver- they vary in the moment based on the person's skin conditions. Or is so, it the sympathetic, you know, yeah. nervous system response? I mean, given that, I don't care about size and shape. It's it's whether or not the position of it is in the same position between recordings. Uh, exactly, and so then it, when it's there, that's the question I want to know the answer to. Sure. Is it in the same place or, you know, 40 years from now, is it going to be in a slightly different place? And, and how, you know, how much movement happens in that, uh, short term or long term, uh, difference. So again, it's hard to separate out the differences because of the recording method or the photographic method versus the differences in the skin or in the impression. And when the paper is really focusing in on differences of the skin or differences of the impression, you got to go way out of your way to control for the differences of the recording process uh, to take that out of the equation. And it just doesn't seem like that happened here. Uh, well, all right. I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing because I, I, I thought that was, that was their point with persistence is that it doesn't record, that the recording is unreliable of it. But, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of their point here. Right. Are we, we cross-talking purposes? No, uh, okay. you know, I, get, I get what you mean. Yeah, um, you, for third-level detail. Yes, yes, that for third-level detail, and in fact, I don't, I don't know if this was their intent, but given even within the FBI, the restricted use of third-level detail now, is this a good reason 
showing support why they have abandoned some of that, you know, in the use of identification purposes, because it simply is not robust, that they can't demonstrate it to record robustly and reliably from time to time to time, which I would totally agree with. I and mean, that is the problem with level three. Even in the short term, it simply doesn't record consistently. I I would I consider level three a little differently than that. If it's there in both impressions, um, and if there are similar features in both impressions, I still think that is a small but valuable little nugget to put on our on the scale uh, towards identification. I, I don't think it can be used on the scale towards exclusion because it's so unreliably recorded from time to time. But if you do happen to get two good recordings that have, you know, a fairly consistent, uh, you know, pressure and you see, Hey, this jagged edge is, you know, basically identical to this jagged edge that I still think that's, that's a valuable information to include. And I would point out, go back up to one of the images we were looking at before, uh, back to figure eight. If you look, um, at that little nugget of what they're calling a dot, um, and just follow along, uh, go up a ridge and follow it along to the right. You see a, not every little crease and nook and cranny, but quite a few of those little creases, nooks and crannies have very, uh, complex shapes that are repeated on one image to the other. When that I think is present, I think it can be useful. Um, however, as we know, it's got to be, it's you know, very dangerous and it's got to be used, um, very carefully. But just because it's not represented the same every time doesn't mean to me that you can't use it when it is recorded the same. Does that make sense? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I it, it makes sense. It's one of those things that I'm not sure I philosophically. I, I get it. It's, it right. gets along this line of cherry picking too much. I mean, and it's the opposite of the Dutch gravity standard too, that right. the feature that you must, the, the feature you're just as willing to use for the identification, you should be just as willing to use for an exclusion. Now, I agree that that's not level three detail. Well, but, true. And, and I, I actually, philosophically disagree with that statement because um the uh, just philosophically i feel that uh different features mean different things uh for exclusion and for identification sure um, okay All right. so um for example let's take it away from third level to creases um you know a a crease only ident um is you're going to be very careful with it. There's, uh, there's obviously going to be a lot of distortion because if it's crease only, then something happened to hide all the actual ridges. Mm. But the creases aren't going to be there each time, right? You may have to take multiple impressions at different pressure levels to get the same kind of appearance of the creases from your latent to a different sets of knowns and then finding the one okay this best represents an approximation of the pressure when this latent was left down using that one as the as the known you know just because the feature records it slightly differently every time uh, to me doesn't mean just let's rule it out it just means let's be very careful and understand that it's uh, it's only going to be used towards identification, not an exclusion, and yada yada yada. Okay, yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. I I struggle a little bit with with level three in in the use of examinations. I I really do. I I kind of feel more like the FBI from time to time. It adds right. a little bit, but boy, I, I hope it needs to be a very small part of my decision making where I prefer level two uh, level two predominantly in my decision making right. everything else just sort of adds to it absolutely and i i would um i think we're not too far off from each other in actual real life the latents that mm. both are clear enough to have that third level detail and right. are limited enough in second level detail where you need to use the third are quite rare 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I've got two really good things that I take away from this paper. I mean, two, I mean, besides the thing I'm talking about, all the references and right. tr- and trying to make some definite, two things I look at this paper that I like that I, I would cite it for just alone. The first for me was the take home message number one is look, if you need to use level three detail and you need to use some of these other characteristics, don't use a recording. Go to the original friction rage skin. If you can, photograph the defendant's fingers or make a mold of them, uh, cast them. Avoid recording them if you're trying to capture level three detail for purposes of comparison. That's something that Josh Bergeron and I learned years ago and I'm an advocate for. And this paper just sort of shows how poorly some of these characteristics are in the persistence, the recording of them. Right. Second thing is this, the issue I'm about to bring up goes towards this recently revived issue that uh, some defense attorneys like Brendan Max in Cook County have been bringing up is the, is it a ridge ending or bifurcation? And one of the you know the things that he has done in cross examination is you know get examiners to look at the you know the latent and show that it's a ridge ending and look at the known and it's a bifurcation and and the examiner will have an answer for that most examiners do have it have an answer for that and the term we're referring to is connective ambiguity one of the the responses i i've tried to use in the past is to basically say well look in either case, whether it's the latent or the inked impression, there's still recordings of the skin. Neither are ground truth. We simply don't know what the ground truth, if it's a ridge ending or a bifurcation, because both of these, whether it's the latent or the known print, are simply recordings of the friction ridge skin. To which his next response will be, well, if you could see, hypothetically, if you could see the friction ridge skin and it appeared as a ridge ending or a bifurcation, you know, vice versa on the skin, but not in the latent. And you could see the, 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 the friction ridge skin. Would you then concede that they couldn't be from the same source because it's a discrepancy that even the skin has a ridge ending, but the, the latent has a bifurcation. This paper supports my answer at that time and continues to support that answer that no, I would not exclude because there is a continuum of characteristics on the scale of whether or not it's a bifurcation or a ridge ending. And this paper sort of shows that even at the friction ridge skin level, it's not exactly clear if it's a ridge ending or bifurcation. And again, what matters is its presence, where it connects, its length, and a number of other things, and its relationship to other features, not the type. I really want us to move away from the type issue oh absolutely i I think that's a an answer okay if an attorney puts you on the stand and asks you you know whether or not a certain feature is a bifurcation or a ridge ending alarm bells should be going off in your head that um you're heading down this path and uh you need to start um you know deploying the airbags or, you know, whatever it is that (laughs) whatever emergency situation response, uh, it comes natural to you, uh, of, of saying that, um, of saying that exact thing, that this is an impression of the skin, the skin. Um, uh, I would even go so far as to say that the skin itself doesn't have bifurcations and endings. Bifurcations. It doesn't have a ground truth. Well, it, it just doesn't have either one, really, it, because it, uh, it is the impression that left behind where you have these gaps, right? The furrows are just where the finger didn't touch. But the furrows on the impression is just blank. Furrows on the finger are all sorts of different heights. Right. That That's that continuum I'm referring to that it's not like a cliff where the ridge stops and shoots downwards straight down like a you know like a like a free fall right you've got different heights as it slowly meanders down the side of the hill 
before it hits the valley. There, there is no, there is, depending, the slightest bit of pressure change there could make contact with that skin or not. And sliding side to side could collapse uh, the, the ridges towards each other like an accordion. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, uh, you know, any kind of answers like this is what you need to start laying down um, so that uh, in describing a feature that you see there, um, you're not uh, led into some sort of trap that it is definitely this feature or that fe- that type of feature. Um, the important thing is that you have an event occurring here, a ridge feature. You have three ridges uh, coming in from the left, two ridges exiting out from the right to this localized area, meaning that uh, a ridge was lost and the same uh, event occurs here in the known print. Three ridges are coming in, two are coming out of this localized event, uh, and that is the similarity that I'm looking for. Now, you know, if I mark them as bifurcations or endings, uh, that is more of a um, a help of me keeping track of the lines as I'm going through these dozens of lines on the screen uh, so, so I can keep track of the intervening ridges between where all these events happen. Uh, and it's much easier to keep track of all that when I've marked it one way or the other, but that's not assigning it to be ground truth that it's that way or the other. Right, right, right. And, and this may, might be something that we may need to you know, train it a new generation of examiners is to really avoid worrying about characterization of ridge endings, bifurcations, and more about the presence of a characteristic in this, in this specific spot, which that actually, it's weird. I mean, history is repeating itself. This is why (laughs) the, in the seventies and, and, and so examiners avoided talking about those kinds of things and just referred to them as characteristics. So they wouldn't end up having to deal with, Regending versus bifurcation issues. And I think different countries, um, just to kind of expand this out beyond the, the U.S. Uh, hello, all of our um, non-U.S. Uh, listeners out there. Uh, it seems like not in other areas of the world, they go deeper into having different features besides just endings and bifurcations. Um, to have to calling them actually lakes or islands or um uh, spurs or you know they they consider those two features together to be one feature uh and for me i i think it makes much more sense to consider every feature to be just a singular event where you either gain or lose a ridge so much so that I would push to the elimination of the dot even as a feature and instead have it be considered as two ridge endings that occur in the same place. Whoa, that's crazy talk. Now, you are, that's crazy talk. Not to say, oh, it counts double. That's not the, that's not the thing, but to consider it as being basically the inverse of an enclosure of which is two uh, bifurcations, sure. two endings uh, right on top of each other. Um, because it has the features, you know, all the other features of how ridges spread and, and move around to make room for this ridge to appear and then end and close. All of that is exactly the same as basically two endings happening. I think going to the conclusion section, there's, there's a couple things to, to, uh, I wanted to point out, um, just to kind of wrap up, um, you know, my thoughts on this. The first is the, the, the statement on, um, just in that second paragraph under conclusions, saying that each technique used uh, has inherent limitations Mm. and due to the frequently marginal quality of whatever technique you used, many of the available photos did not adequately represent ground truth. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with that statement. And I I think that is essentially even just what they wrote there the biggest limitation of this paper. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm with you. And um, in looking at then uh, how well the different levels of detail stood up to 
uh, being persistent and or permanent. Uh, the next, the third paragraph there, the participating examiners conducting the comparisons, they did so with the deliberate mindset of attempting to detect dissimilarities or discrepancies, however slight. So, um, the, uh, the noted rare, uh, variations were rarities within an overwhelming similarity of features. Now, I would have liked uh, to have seen kind of what breakdown that would have looked like of how often these variations were in different areas and different feature types. Um, as opposed to what they seem to do is say, okay, there are, um, variations between impressions at these different levels of detail as opposed to saying what is really kind of represented here saying most everything matched up just fine, but there were variations. Um, and again, more so at level three than, uh, and not at level one. So, um, again, maybe that could be a follow-up. I'm not sure if that they're planning on doing that with the kind of where things are in the research with the FBI right now, but, uh, that's that was a thing that as I was reading through this, I kept wanting to know. I, I just wanted to read one thing too from the conclusions, which sort of summarizes I think some of what we're talking about. You know, the level one detail was permanent and persistent in the impressions. I don't think you and I had any issues there. Right. But on the level two, level two detail in the skin and impressions was persistent. However, though permanent in the short term, the level two detail was not permanent in the long term. Notably, the small changes were observed only in appearance. There were no changes in the presence of – and here's what here's the, the caveat I, I liked. We didn't see any new or any missing existing minutiae. There were no changes in new minutiae or missing minutiae, you know, absence of them. The differences we saw in skin were so small – rare and ins insignificant that they would be unconditionally considered persistent in an operational exam. And I get that part because it, you know, it's the, it wouldn't impact the examinations. It would be so minor that it wouldn't affect anything. It's not like the minutia is missing. It just might appear as a bifurcation instead of a ridge ending, or it may have a little different shape to it or a little whatever, Okay, so it doesn't basically affect the outcome. And that goes back to that original point that I didn't think was necessary to make, but they did make, is the it won't affect your identifications. But I liked how they phrased it here. It wouldn't impact your operational examinations. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this one. Um, you know, I think overall... Um, we had some, some critiques, saw some good stuff in the paper. Well, one, one minor thing I just want to add is I know that I, I'm being a little unfair to this paper because I'm comparing it in relationship to a series of black box and white box studies. Really great stuff coming from the Noblis and FBI partnership. And so I, I have to admit, I mean, I, I tried to review the paper as it is, but it's a little hard for me given the the recent publications and this you know paper notably doesn't have the noblest stamp to it and the the methodology and approach is different too you know than compared to that path so there's probably a little bit of unconscious comparison to to that a little subconscious bias on your part there you, you see fbi and you're expecting like this most amazing paper ever and it doesn't live up to the standards of its older brothers and sisters. So, you know, you're, uh, it's, it's just a, it's in a completely different vein. It's a different methodology. It's a different message, right? Different, you know, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's different. Uh, uh, no, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, I'm glad we got a chance to go through this one and, um, super glad that, uh, that you know the data uh, is out and that uh, they had so many pictures in it this that's uh it's always my favorite part sure. um <laughs> what you got coming up so uh for me uh we got the conference this is probably going to be released you know just the week of or the week after the conference so uh if you're there uh hello if if this is coming out just right after um i hope everyone had a good time that was there Spots are filling up pretty quick for my exclusionology class in Clearwater, Florida, September 30th to October 2nd. 
Um, so head to rayforensics.com for that. Um, and then November is going to be in uh, St. Louis and uh, February in in Minneapolis. So um, if you're interested in anything like that or in uh, having it hosted at your agency, go ahead and contact me at uh, rayforensics.com. Yeah, I've got uh, two classes to mention right now, uh, and you can go to ronsmithandassociates.com to register for either of them. Coming up real soon in September 16th through 18th in the Denver area is this testimony class with me, Carrie Hall, and a defense attorney who's really good, we mentioned earlier in the episode, really good at picking apart fingerprint examinations, Brendan Max, and it's a three-day testimony class where students don't have to testify and be put through moot court. The instructors will be embarrassed and put through a moot court. Oh. So you, get to, you get to see that. Yeah, we would never put the students on the stand, but they get to watch Carrie and I get beat up you know, in, in the course and how we will answer questions with good and bad answers. Okay, okay. And walk, you know, walk through different scenarios. And then the other course is October 14th through the 18th. It's an advanced ACE-V course, and that is in the uh, Bay Area, Dublin, California, NoCal, North Cal, California, if you're interested in that. And uh, other courses already being put online for 2020, ronsmithandassociates.com. All right. Well, with that, um, don't forget to check out uh, doubleloopodcast.com. And uh, we'll make sure to Twitter uh, include yeah the Twitter too to, at Double Loop Pod on Twitter. But we'll make sure to include some of these pictures what we're talking about uh, on the website there. Have Michael put those up uh, over there uh, and email us Eric at RayForensics.com and Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com. Oh yeah, and 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 if anyone any authors involved in this or anyone reading this has a totally different take, you know we're definitely open to having a discussion about this if we misunderstood something in the paper or you know we we'd like to discuss so please feel free to reach out to us with comments or further you know um discussion you know even if you agreed with everything we said but then but you know we're like we're like well but you forgot to mention this whole other part that uh you know was also you know important that you guys should have talked about yeah let us know and we'll uh, we'll talk about that too um we are anonymous or not <laughs> Exactly. We we know how uh, how squirrely the feds can be with uh, federal employees um, talking to the quote unquote press. That is <laughs> Eric and Glenn. But um, uh, yeah, we we definitely appreciate any comments uh, from uh, from the authors or participants uh, that, anyway, that helped out with uh, with this paper. Um, or even if you were just a, another reader of this paper that had some other thoughts on it, let us know and. Uh, We'll either get you on the show or or read your email online. All right, with that, I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs>